Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Rob Johnson, a real estate agent with Halstead Property in Greenwich, Connecticut, who transitioned into real estate after a highly successful career in the financial brokerage industry. In addition to his experience in financial services, Rob is also experienced in the construction and development side of the business through work with South Beach Partners, a residential home builder in his local area. Rob joins us today to discuss his keys to success in real estate and how he's applied his past experience to help him provide a superior level of service and knowledge to his real estate clients. Now, let's welcome Rob to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Hello, Mr. Johnson. I very much appreciate you being my co-host today on today's radio show. Looking forward to exposing all of our listeners to what it takes to be um, one of the most successful agents in the country when it comes to dealing with, I won't even call it the high end, I'll call it the ultra high end of residential real estate. So thank you for being my co-host today. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your background. It is kind of interesting how you got into real estate, how you came from a completely, because there's a lot of folks, uh, I'm sure you have run into these types of folks that come into uh, real estate from other uh, businesses. And you know, Rob, it's interesting. Um, we were sharing with our listeners the other day, I remember a rant I was going on about how the folks getting into the business are not like the folks that were, say, in the business when Julie and I were selling real estate. You know, folks like you are coming into the business with, you know, substantial uh, career success in other industries, oftentimes a lot of startup capital, oftentimes with a lot of actual business experience. And so your approach to the industry is completely different than it was, say, for example, agents in getting into the industry 20 years ago. So let's talk just briefly, if you don't mind, a little bit about your background right. on Wall Street. So I was a uh, derivatives broker for 18 years, and I, I worked in London, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Sydney, and, uh, and New York. Um, I moved to the States in 2005. My wife's American. That's why we decided to, uh, to bring our kids up here. And then I transitioned to, uh, into uh, real estate um, four or five years after that. What brought you into wanting to be into real estate? Was it just – why did you choose that as your industry? Because with your background, you could have done a number of different things, I'm sure. Why real estate? I, um, I had investments in real estate for going back 10, uh, 10 or 12 years. Um, I enjoyed the experience. I liked the, I liked the fact that it was, it was hands-on. Um, when I initially tr transitioned out of finance, I worked with um, a very high-end uh, custom builder. Um, and uh, so that was the segue between, uh, between finance and, and becoming a realtor. Um, a lot of agents... And I know you and I have a list of questions, and I hope you don't mind if I bounce around a little bit. A lot of agents have this belief that working with um, the high end, whatever their high end is in their market, and the ultra high end, like in Greenwich, Connecticut, where you sell real estate, they believe mm -hmm. that, and, and rightfully so, they believe that there is a special skill set that's required. So I know that virtually all of your experience has been with the high end and the ultra high end. 
Well, what are the types of demands that, say, for example, someone buying a 20 or $30 million house put on you, say, for example, versus someone that's buying, like moving in from the city and wanting to buy a starter house in your market, say, for $2.5 million? How are those customers different? I think there's a there's a level of service that they demand in across the board in their lives generally that they um, that they're applying to any service they use and real estate is just one of those. Um, I think that's the main that's the main difference. It's not necessarily specific to real estate, although there are idiosyncrasies within that. I think it's a level of expectation um, in their in their lives generally. And if you're if their realtor has the ability to speak that language, it's um, it's very beneficial. Well, so uh, let's drill down on that. I mean, you live in an incredibly gorgeous, you know, very exclusive part of Greenwich, Connecticut. You live on the water, which is a niche in itself. Uh, and you right. rub shoulders. You rub shoulders every day with these guys that are still on Wall Street that we read about on Bloomberg and CNBC and the rest of it. When you say a level of service that's expected, you're not telling me that they will send you an email and say, this is what I expect. They just expect you to know how they want to be treated, Correct. Absolutely, it it revolves. It, it steps from it stems from the basics, um, uh, quick, uh, quick or immediate feedback on calls and emails, being available seven days a week. Um, a lot of these guys were, uh, they're in industries where, um, in my past life, they were they were clients. I know the level of service that they expect in their business life, and I can translate that into their uh, real estate transactions. Okay, you just said something that I'm interested in because it really does apply to all price ranges, obviously. Uh, communication, right? That's something that agents are – that's the number one complaint every time a survey comes out. Number one. What did you like? Right, exactly. You know you know that, right? So, I mean, what? so high-end customers are ultra-sensitive to the time frames between when they ask you a question and how long it takes for you to respond. Can you and, – and you do have to be a responsive um, with a level of urgency that maybe a normal agent who doesn't have the mindset of service at that level won't even comprehend. Can you give us some, for examples? Well, um, you're, the proof is in the the proof is in the pudding on how quickly you get back to uh, on how quickly you can um, get back to uh, your client base, whether it's a buyer or a seller. Um, I think being available is the is the is the key point. Um, and being if you can't answer the call immediately, get getting back to them within the hour, definitely, definitely within the day. And that doesn't matter what, of, where in the sorry. Yeah, I mean you you are in a market where there's a lot of really great agents, and certainly, I mean you don't you're not selling in the city; you sell mostly in Greenwich. But in uh, you know you're dealing with a lot of some of the arguably some of the nations, if not the world's best realtors that these guys are coming in contact with on a regular basis. But at the end of the day, isn't uh, that fungible? I mean, are, isn't in the eye of a really high-end uh, buyer, ultra-high-end buyer, isn't one agent more or less at that level interchangeable with another? And how do you make yourself stand out? Um, above and beyond the communication that we've talked about, you have to be an expert in certain areas of town, whether that's um, the, the different waterfront uh, neighborhoods, you have to be. Um, you have to have a, a certain depth of knowledge on on how some of these very high end houses are, are built and constructed. Uh, you need to be um, a, a, a referral source for them for all sorts of aspects of their life, whether it's not just real estate. If they're moving from an international community or from the city, um, you have to be able to be a resource for um, for these guys moving to town. It could be anything from. Uh, the best guy to sell them a car, a doctor, um, a decorator, an architect, anything, absolutely anything. 
Um, and, and I think um, it, it, stepping up beyond the um, regular realm of what a realtor is expected to do is, is um, expected within that sphere. Um, and not so provided have, by the vast majority of, of, of agents, no matter which market they work in. If you think, well, Robin, if you think, um, there's a little delay on think, our line. If yeah. you think that the average, um, the average transaction in in this town is give or take uh, 2.7 million dollars, um, and there are 800 agents plus in the town that have their license. Um, it, you don't need to do very many transactions to keep your license and to and to justify your existence. That's not what this buyer and seller base wants. They want someone who's full time, engaged, and 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 able to serve them. Well, so here's what's interesting about you. One of the and I hear this, and you know this because you're friends with all these guys. I hear this from you know all of our high end coaching clients. I hear this when we do radio shows. They seem to have almost abandoned, and that's too strong of a word, and some people are going to actually you know, take offense to it, but almost abandoned any sort of passive electronic social networking type of communication when it comes to working their high-end clients. They seem to like almost no, unless the client prefers SMSing or prefers this, that, or the other, for the most part, every form of communication is handled over the phone, true or false? True. Now, see, that in itself, Rob, was that a surprise to you when you really started selling more and more of these houses and taking on more and more of these listings, the fact that these people want to hear from you, want to see you, not just basically get a text or an email from you or from an assistant for that matter? It, it's, a, it's a great point, and, and I think it goes back to um, – it, it goes back, from my experience, back to finance where you're treated like a private client. Um, this is how um, – this, this, um, this consumer – doesn't have his savings with um, with a bank where he calls up and, and gets put in the line. He calls his financial advisor, um, and they want the same from from their realtor. They want it. They want the um, they want it from the horse's mouth. That's a. I think that's a really good analogy. I like that. I hope everyone's listening. So, in essence, you have your own private shopper when you are shopping at this price range. You you know when you're buying your new Ferrari, you don't go to the Ferrari store. You you, you communicate directly with Marinello, right? When you go to the, when you go and have right, your, you don't when go, you go on and Ferrari. have your, com. That's right. You don't go on Ferrari.com. You don't go to when you're buying your, you know, your pick your luxury item or your, you know, whatever. You're going directly to the source. And to your point again, there is actually pathways of communication that are established for those that level of customers, like. You know, in um, Brioni suits, for example, James Bond suit of choice, which being British, you probably will appreciate or maybe not. Uh, so, <laughs> so when you go to the when you go to Brioni stores like the one in Vegas, there's so you can walk in up, you know, whatever, it's fine, it's in the wind, very nice experience. But then there's this false door that you go through, and then there's like the really special stuff where they, you know, really cater to high end customers. Now, uh, every sort of high end experience, be it a hotel. Um, Virgin Airlines has, you know, all these types of things. They do have very high-end, catered, um, coddled, (laughs) you know, experiences set up. And if you're going to sell in the high-end or the ultra-high-end... If you're going going to expect um, to get paid a large commission on a large purchase or a large sale, you have to make an investment, and that can be in time, um, and it can be in money as well. But these services cost money, and and the, the, the realtor has to be engaged into giving that back, and that could involve sending a chauffeur car from the city to pick them up. It could involve me um, 
uh, chartering a boat to take them around the uh, waterfront in Greenwich to to uh, to drill down on a specific geographical area. It could involve um, arranging childcare for their for their children while they're in Greenwich for the day, um, booking them lunch, anything, uh, anything that that enhances their um, their um, uh, their search with you or their sale with you. Well, and, uh, and, and, and again, at the end of, at the end of the day, they may have come to you from a referral from you know a mutual friend, but if they have a bad experience, you take too long to return calls, or you don't just automatically intuitively understand what their expectations are they're not going to use you and they just disappear they don't just basically say you're fired they just sellers or buyers they just never communicate with you again and like my guys out in california they have to deal a lot with business managers and whatnot do you run into a lot of that in your market um no it's more i so uh, i found it to be more direct um because i think real estate is is more of a personal experience so they don't tend to farm um the communication off to other people either that that's another reason they want to be dealt with uh, directly on the phone because that that's their preferred method of communication they don't delegate that in my, in my experience it well actually from other coaching clients it is very similar it's fun coaching guys in your price segment because guys and gals obviously because i get to hear these funny stories on coaching calls where you know i remember one not too long ago where the guy was telling me how he was touring a house for Kate, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, what's his name's ex-wife? I'm sorry, I forget her name. Julie? No, no, no. The, uh, you know, Tom Cruise's ex-wife. Everyone listening is shouting out her name right now. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> anyway, so here's a funny story. Home, so she's like, There, thank you. So she's looking at houses in California with one of my coaching clients. And at the same time, this is, I don't know if I ever told you this story, Rob. At the same time, she's looking like on the Upper East Side, with another one of my coaching clients. Now, these coaching clients don't know each other, and it's just pure luck that I'm coaching both of them. And so both of them thought that Katie Holmes for sure was going to buy a 5 or $6 million house from them in their market. They didn't know that she was looking in both markets. <laughs> I thought that was funny. She ended up buying in New York, by the way. <laughs> you know, and, and, it, it, and there's another, like, for example, there's another, uh, these are just the kind of things that you hear as a coach coaching high-end agents and listeners. It's kind of fun to hear these stories. Um, so, uh, and that's a section of the market where um, it, it's, a, it's, a discre- it, it's a discretion and a trust and a privacy issue for, um, for people like that. Oh, yeah, they you had to sign disclosures. Point. They had they had to sign disclosures. They had to basically say they're not working with this. You know, they can't advertise that they're working with this specific person. That, that's all standard operating procedure. And I know with her in particular, they had to work with her business managers first. Sometimes the high end agents will get calls from business managers first, and the business managers won't tell them who the client is. And the business manager themselves or an assistant will basically preview the house, and then you know, then basically the the actual client might show up. I mean, there's lots of things that happen, but the, the thing that's interesting that's different, say, for example, than 20 years ago, is the opportunity in this price segment is actually pretty huge depending on where you are in the world, and there's a lot of agents that are absolutely paralyzed with fear of going into those price ranges. Have you? Which, I mean, obviously you're in this world, so you probably haven't experienced that yourself, but what's your, what is your thinking about what I just said? Yeah, I, I would go along with that. I think people, um, I, I've seen it in Greenwich as well, where people um, specialize in certain um, niches, and sometimes it's the less expensive one. And I, I see no reason to do that. It's just you're just uh, imposing limitations on yourself. 
Ooh, I love that, Rob. That's such good coaching. I really, really appreciate that. It's an upper limits problem that their belief system is that they can't handle the upper end client, whereas the reality of it is, is that the functionality is the same. Just you just have to kind of dial it up. So here's another. They need to call you and get some coaching. Yeah, thank you, Rob. I wasn't going to make this into a pitch, but I appreciate you doing that. So uh, something else that's interesting: uh, assistance, right? Now this is something that's counterintuitive, but assistance. The idea of delegating a client, a buyer or seller in this price range, what's your mindset about that? You need to show that you have the ability to delegate tasks, not the time that you're spending with them. I think that's the, main, that's the key difference which people miss. Um, you have to show that you have the bandwidth to, um, to help a client, um, and, that, and that help helps, them, um, helps you have more contact with, with them as a client. Well, in essence, that's what you say to your potential sellers, right? You're explaining to them that you do have assistance and you basically delegate virtually everything uh, so that you can spend all your time focusing on them and getting their household, in essence, is what you're saying, correct? Correct. I'm curious, what are some of the, in your road to success in this ultra-competitive, very you know, incredible market? Probably, I think Greenwich is one of the most expensive enclaves of housing in the world, is it not? Yes, yeah, it, 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 um, it is. I mean, so the, a lot of your folks, they have houses in multiple parts of the world. That's probably a pretty normal thing that you're dealing with someone buying a second. Well, of course, Greenwich is probably where they have their primary homes, correct? Well, it, it is more, um, from an outsider looking in, uh, it is actually a more diverse market than, than you might think. It's not, um, it isn't just the ultra-high net worth individuals. It does span a pretty broad range, but there is a, there is a, section, of the, um, there is a section of Greenwich that, is, that, that would tie into what you're saying with um, second, third, fourth, fifth homes. I wonder if our listeners were just listening to the terms you just said. You said ultra-high net worth, and then, of course, there's high net worth. Guys, those are actual terms that if you're going to go after this particular segment, you need to familiarize yourself with. Ultra-high net worth is $30 million or above in net worth. Normal you know, high net worth is $5 million or above. And the difference between, uh, like, so, for example, the guy with $30 million, he's flying in on his own jet probably. Granted, it's a used jet, but it's a nice jet. And the guy with the $5 million is flying first class or is chartering a plane. So there are differences and the obviously the you know the expectations that these price segments have. What I'm hearing Rob suggest is you basically treat everyone as if they are the guy with a hundred million dollar net worth or a billionaire and then that filters down to having that guy with, you know, this buying say the low end shack in Greenwich for two and a half million, he he's having a good experience too. If you, if you can raise if you if you can raise your game across the board, you're going to see your business increase exponentially either way. Absolutely right. I know what everyone's wanting me to ask, so I'm just going to ask you. Other than basically, folks, uh, past clients, people that know, love, and trust you, sending you business, which I know you get a lot from. How else do you? What do you do every single day? Like, what's the what's the day in the life of uh, of Mr. Robert Johnson? I try. Um, I try and speak to at least five people a day um, on the phone that are in my um, in my sphere of influence um, that are directly um, dire- directly related to real estate um, in the uh, actually in the afternoons. Every afternoon, I try and speak to at least five people. Um, the that's the most important thing, and that in itself can be hard if you're if you're juggling at certain times of the year um, with listing in spring. Or being out with buyers in the uh, in, in the late spring, but that's a bare minimum requirement, and that's one of the great things about um, about speaking to you every week is that um, 
you become accountable for uh, for things like that. Well, let's hover there for a second. So one of the things that you focus on, and again, I think this will be a surprise to not the high-end agents out there, but most everyone else, is that you really don't focus any efforts on anything. Your your drivers are basically picking up the phone. That's your primary source of new business, true or false? Uh, true. It's true. It's it's backed up with... Um with other with campaigns that are email driven and newsletters um past clients all the usual stuff that i i try and enhance um for with uh with information but it it all derives from the phone calls all right so you created a video which i don't know if it's on your website or not i think it is for one of your riverfront properties that was probably one of the best overall marketing pieces for real estate that i've ever seen and i see these things all day long. Agents send them to me. You know, I see them just different places. This video, guys in LA, you're doing some of these on your high end. You should see the video that Rob had produced because it makes the videos that a lot of the LA agents are making look like bad MTV videos from the 80s. This video was so elegant. It was shot um, using the best technology, shot with, you know, drones, shot with um, your family was there. It was beautiful. It was like it was like a Ralph Lauren commercial. It's really what it is, right? Yes, I, I, um, I'm I'm lucky to my um, my broker is uh, is extremely supportive and very open to uh, to trying new things. And we used an awesome um, film production company um, who who did a fantastic job of making um, making a film. Um, very personal and 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 a and a great a great connection with the house and the lot. Um, even the even the music was um, uh, was composed for the uh, specifically for the film. Um, it's uh, it, it was a very effective tool and um, both for marketing that listing and for um, and for new business um, to, to show uh, future clients the extent to which we're prepared to go to to uh, help sell their house. Well, that isn't that video isn't just a, oh that's nice. That video, even on I assume an ultra high net worth type person, uh, is a is a wow, right? I mean, when someone sees that, they're they're kind of blown away. Yes. The, the, yes, the the end result was was fantastic. But people also understand that it it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money um, to um, and 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 a commitment to um, to get that to. Um, to the stage that it's at at the website, but it was it, it was very effective and, and it was uh, it was it was a really fun project to do as well, even even if it did include my kids. <laughs> well, it was great. Uh, so again, <laughs> listeners, if you guys got to check this out, Rob, remind me, is it on your website? It is uh, robjohnsongreenwich.com, and the it's on the front page. The listing was 14 Marlow. It's uh, it's on the water in uh, in Riverside, Greenwich. There you go. Um, Here's something I think a lot of agents will, uh, you know, there's a, if you're not in the high end, you don't really understand this, but most of those high end homes, they don't, you have to have a, an expectation that you're going to have a long-term relationship with that seller, right? I mean, most of these houses don't sell themselves. It's not like they're seeing on, you know, million dollar listing LA where things seem to sell themselves with multiple offers with virtually no effort. It That's really not true. Uh, you know, in some <laughs> cases it is, but for the most part, you have to basically building, build the expectation that when you list your 13, you know, $14 million house, chances are, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to get to know that seller. So how do you balance the expectations that they have for a quick sale? Because maybe they're watching this Bravo TV shows in reality. That has to be a struggle, no? 
Well, as entertaining as those shows are, and I, I watch them myself, uh, sometimes it seems to uh, <laughs> tell a different story. But, yeah, if you're above 5 million and then 10 million, um, especially, the, the absorption rates uh, can be can be pretty high. So um, I think with every um, business relationship, if, um, if the conversation is very open um, and direct at the beginning of the listing, you can um, people's expectations are uh, are, uh, are managed, and then, um, like a lot of things, it comes down to uh, it a lot comes down to pricing. They're less sensitive to the amount of time on the market, provide you set realistic expectations in the beginning. But really, what your secret sauce is that constant communication. So a lot of times, sellers will right. build if you, animosity. If you can ma- exactly, yeah. if you can manage the if you if you can manage that uh, that process, you. Um, you start the relationship with um, with a long range plan. Um, what happens if you know the, the, all the all the what ifs? But it, um, you're absolutely right. It revolves down around communication. People people don't like nasty surprises, so um, <laughs> cut them off. Cut them off at the part. It doesn't matter whether they're selling their house or uh, and, or um, or their business or um, or any part of their life. You you um, and, and constant communication um, gets rid of most of that. One of the things that a lot of people are surprised about when they are thinking about going into the higher end is what a pain in the ass sometimes price adjustments can be because these people legitimately don't have to sell. I mean, they can have it sit there vacant, most of them, and it would mean absolutely nothing to the quality of their lives, unlike, say, normal people who have to sell the house to buy the next one, right? So when it comes to price changes, can you share with our listeners any sort of – there's not a thing that you do. It's a series of things. But can you share with the listeners how you basically go about getting price adjustments out of these ultra-high net worth sellers? Well, I hate to be boring, but it it does go back to communication again. Every week I'll speak to to an owner and go through what has come on the market and what has gone to contracts and what has sold. Um, so every week they'll have an update on how they compare with um, with their peer group, basically. Um, if if their motivation is to sell, then that that conversation will result in a um, in a in a price reduction. If the motivation isn't there and they're happy to happy to sit with it um, for sale for longer, then that's part of the conversation. Right, and so. A lot of times these guys have built these houses themselves. It's been their essentially their their trophy that they give themselves for, you know, becoming very successful. So there's a lot of ego attachment to the house. So right. you did oversimplify the nature of the communication because a lot of the time you're having to sort of, you know, walk the line between Dr. Phil, <laughs> right, and realtor to get these guys to see through their own, you know, emotional attachment to the property so they can actually move on and accomplish their goal. Um, it, it, working in this ultra-high net worth market, is, is that the greatest challenge, having people adjust uh, properties price-wise when necessary? Would you say that's the number one challenge, or are there other things that make that list of, say, top three or four challenges? No, I think that's um, – I, I would put that as one of the challenges to selling. It, it goes back to what you said, that there is a, um, there is a desire to sell, not a need to sell um, a lot of the mm. time, which can, which can make transacting um, – Right. Yeah, exactly. Listeners, you heard him touch on it. It's a want to sell versus a have to sell. Um, a want to sell, as longtime coaching clients will know, is, you know, someone has to, you know, a want to sell, again, to be clear, is, oh, I want to sell if I can get the right price. I want to sell if, you know, pigs fly. In other words, if it doesn't sell, they don't really care. Where I have to sell is, 
they absolutely have to sell. It could be a financial reason. It could be a relocation. It could be uh, court-ordered. It could be a property they inherited and, you know, all those usual reasons. So everyone's been in the business for a while, and you look back at your year as to what houses were successful at selling where the sellers were cooperative, chances are they were the have-to-sells, not the want-to-sells. And when you deal with this higher end, and I saw this happen when, with all of our L.A. clients back when the recession hit, you know, they were panicking because these properties weren't selling and the sellers weren't reducing and the sellers, you know, had the financial wear for all just to weather the storm. And so Julie and I said, well, guess what? You're now going to become the market's leading luxury leasing agent. And that's what they did. And they kept the listings. And then when the market, when the clouds cleared, which, you know, in certain parts of L.A. It wasn't but two or three years, then they had kept all those listings. So you have to be able in the ultra high net worth and just the normal high end, you have to be able to have a variety of services, not just, you know, your normal, typical Bob and Jane, you know, listing techniques. You have to be able to have uh, versatility in the services you offer. And also, you, have, you really do have to be very efficient identifying what someone's personality type is. Do you do that intuitively at this point, Rob, or do you actually think through it, like how to basically cater to a person's particular personality quirks? Because these people a lot of times are characters, aren't they? Yeah, I think, I think you have to um, you, you have to be – Think on the thinking on the fly is probably <laughs> um, underestimated. But I, I think when you when you're spending this much time with someone, you do know their character and and how they're gonna um, how they're gonna react to certain things. You can't predict it 100. percent But um, you you generally, uh, if you've got to the stage where you're, uh, it's been a long time um, being able to sell a customer's house, you, you know their personality. You know you know what they need to accomplish. You know whether they need to. Um, one person might be able might have to defray costs for owning an extremely expensive house, and he doesn't live there. Another person will um, will will want to keep it empty because if he's leased it, it might look like he really needs the money, and he doesn't want to give that impression. There are all sorts of different things going on in that type of market that uh, send different signals for different people, and it's just knowing who you're dealing with. But I think a lot of it is intuitive. Yeah. How important is it that you? act like, drive a car that is appropriate? And this seems like a stupid question, but it's something I know that agents, honestly, I'm surprised. <laughs> and we've talked this, about it before. I know we have, you and I have, but because yeah. it is something yeah. that, you know, you do have to basically, if you're, you know, you have to look, ex- well, but Rob, let's be honest, you are like them. <laughs> I mean, really, at the end of the day, you are them, so you are like your customer. But for the most part, you even had to basically, you know, you have to constantly be monitoring your own, uh, image because you are your own brand. I mean, how you look, what you drive, how you talk. Um, by the way, is that accent? Is that Mississippi? What is that? It's it's uh, Arkansas. <laughs> it's Arkansas. Uh, okay, it's, it's, uh, Arkansas. We call it Arkansas. There you go. So yep. I thought you were going to say hillbilly Ohio to get me back for trying yeah. to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so but the reality of it is is that how you look, what you drive, how you answer the phone, all those types of things. That is so important, and really, the high-end folks do monitor what you look like. They do monitor what you're driving. They do monitor what you wear. And some agents, and I, I find this interesting. I don't quite understand the psychology. Find that offensive that that, that people are judging them based on their appearance. Can you talk a little bit it's, about that? Because I know. Go ahead. Well, it's just reality that they that yeah, there you they go. do. Um, but if you're, everyone does. Whether you're in. Um, Whichever town you're in in the U.S., everyone, we all do it. Um, so I think it, it is very important to have um, to to be very cognizant of your own brand and to work on that. Absolutely, um, to the point of being 
um, flashy, no. I think you have to be understated, um, and you have to be well-dressed. Um, you have to look like you, um, look like you mean business. Um, um, your car, it doesn't need to be, um, I don't think you should be competing with your clients. You should be making them feel um, comfortable that they're working with you. Rob, you just said something that's freaking awesome. Uh, you don't want to basically be dressing nicer than, than them necessarily. You don't. You can dress casually with really nice stuff, and they'll identify that you're dressed nicely. You know, you don't want to be showing up uh, with a ridiculously, uh, you know, overstated car. You want to sort of blend. They want to see that you are successful, but they don't want to feel competitive with you. Correct? All, all they want from you is to know that you can get the job done. And if you if That's you turn up looking. Looking like you're dressed in a bag of potatoes, they're they're going to say, well, is that how you're going to dress when we when you set when you put our house on the market for for twelve million dollars? No, they they want to know that you're that you have it that you have a good, clean, smart image, and that you can do what you say on the label. Well, nicely said. I mean, so if you're out in San Francisco, a nice Tesla probably will be all that you need to be driving. Truthfully, if you're in LA, right. if you want to be working the upper end. You're going to want to probably drive a Bentley, depending, right? If you're, uh, what is the car du jour? Because Greenwich is I, kind of an, I, an an interesting mix, isn't it? Go it's ahead. It's funny because you, you, yeah, you've got the old school uh, Northeast Americans and uh, the old, um, th- those guys will um, probably punish you for being, definitely punish you for being flashy. It's all about being understated. Um, there is also there's different elements to town, but it's funny you you raise an interesting point. You um, going back to the. Um, to the HGTV shows, the uh, LA agents with Bentleys and, uh, and and really fancy cars. If you went to that extreme in in my market, you would be you would be punished for doing that. People would people would <laughs> people would uh, people would resent uh, uh, re- resent that. It's too in your face. Well, I think you have to be a little bit more understated than that. This is a funny in, topic, in my market. Rob. It's different. If I, if I move to LA, maybe maybe I'll have to uh, change my game. But the uh, in, in Greenwich, you have to be more you have to be more understated than that. This is a funny topic because it make and it'll make for good radio. If you don't mind, can we drill down on that just a little bit? Because it, yeah. it is such sure. a good thing to talk it's about. It's funny. Well, on the so it is because the complete again, guys. If you're dealing uh, with uh, high net worth folks and they're coming from a certain part of the world, or they're originally from a certain part of the world, you're going to have to really – and this gets even more so. We didn't even talk about international clients, which I know you deal a lot yeah. with. But, the uh, English, but, English guy is going to think very, you know, it, it's very differently from an Australian guy to a um, – it, it, it's, very, it's very variable. Well, in the, the whole parvenu versus, you know, you you don't want to seem like you're too uh, – on the East Coast, for example, to drive Rob's point home, because it's important to understand – uh, you don't want to look like um, you want to look kind of like your old money, really. I mean, that's the simplest kind of tacky way to say it. And if you're on the east, on the west coast, well, it's because there's generational wealth in Greenwich, Connecticut. You have people there that that you know have roots all the way back to the Mayflower. Truthfully, you know that's not unusual in your marketplace for you to be out walking your dog and running into the first cousin of one of the presidents. I mean, true or false? True. Yeah, on the West Coast, it's mostly, for the most part, first or second generation money. On the East Coast, especially in Greenwich, you're talking about some of the oldest, wealthiest people in America. Their expectations of how a successful uh, realtor or any business person acts uh, in their presence is completely different than in California. So you, you know, if you're down in Florida, then it's a different flavor. If you're, you know, if you're 
flying in your uh, we have coaching clients that basically sell in different countries it's not so unusual anymore that we have people sell in Europe and they might sell you know in New York or whatever so i mean you really do have to know what the expectations are and do not assume that a one size fits all approach to this will work uh, it, just the opposite so let, let's rob do you mind if we go a little bit over no of course not I know you don't have anything better to do. I mean, so let's let's just <laughs> so let's talk about dealing with international clients. Let's talk about how you go about appealing to them. But you know, they're completely like Chinese buyers or Middle Eastern buyers. Talk a little bit about what you're. Just share some stories. Well, I, I think it's it's very dangerous to uh, to oversimplify. I, I think you have to have a a very um, a very general understanding of, of business etiquette in those countries, no matter uh, no matter who you're um, dealing with, whether it's um, uh, Brazilian or Chinese or Japanese or Argentinian, whatever the idiosyncrasies of that country, you need to you need to do a little bit of research on on who you're on who you're dealing with and what the best practices are uh, in, in that country. And if you don't know, find out. So, for um, example, for, for my give personal, us some, for, for my yeah, go ahead. From my personal experience, um, you're, um, and this isn't. This goes back to previous business experience, not necessarily being a realtor, but um, how you meet and greet um, a, a Japanese couple. Maybe um, you, you may um, you, you have to be extremely um, extremely polite, and and um, the way you meet and greet, it could be could make or break your relationship with them if you just. Um, pick their business card and put it straight in your pocket. You're probably not going to be a very popular realtor or business associate with those guys. Well, drill, um, drill down with, on with, that. With, I, drill down on that, Rob. So when someone, when a Japanese businessman hands you a business card, you're supposed to receive it with two hands. You're supposed to look at it. You're supposed to, I mean, almost like you're admiring it, right? So I mean, right. That's, and you're and it and it stays on the table or in your hands in plain view. Um, don't just stuff it in your pocket and and say thank you and move on. It's extremely rude. So know, knowing some knowing little the little things, and I'm not saying that I could tell you stories for each nationality, but there are there are little things with each um, with each nationality that are, that are important to, um, um, to to that audience. Um, we had a coaching client recently that received a um, communication. Uh, the communication was, in essence, I had somebody that's uh, wanting to fly in and look at a particular house you have for sale. It was, I don't remember, 15 million, whatever. It was out on the West Coast. Um, and before any other communications happened, they had to do a docu-sign of a non-disclosure. Okay, so normally that happens after the communication started and they qualified, but since this was his listing, they just skipped right to it, right? You know, so you have to, before we communicate with you. Okay, so it turns out there was a, um, a prince from... Uh, UA, uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia, I don't remember what, you know, United Emirates, mm-hmm. I don't remember. But anyway, that wanted to buy the house, wanted to buy the house for a relative that was going to be going to college nearby, and then there was another relative, the cousin that was going to be living with them, this whole story. But here was the deal. Flying in on the private jet, wants to be picked up at the airport, will make see just that house, doesn't want to have a long, drawn-out communication with you. And, you know, and that's how it's going to happen. And the dude bought the house with cash. Just no, just that's how it's going to happen. Did not want the sale showing up on any property records. Did not want it showing up on TMZ. Did not want it, it essentially had to be completely and totally. So this coaching client, and I know you know how to do this too, knew how to make the sale opaque. So no one would know what was happening. No one would know who bought it. Um, the, you know, he didn't want the listing even showing up as a sold on the MLS. He had all these very specific requirements because he didn't want the breadcrumbs leading back to who 
the actual buyer was. Whatever, whatever. Maybe their security was for a reason that was completely justified, or maybe they were just paranoid. It, it was important to him, and so uh, that's what needed to be done. Well, there you go. What you just said. It was important to him. This was his expectation. Fortunately, this coaching client had experience dealing with similar high-end buyers, though never that extreme. We have another, and you know, this is you know these stories too. But other coaching clients will, when working with, there was a story about. Beyonce and um, Jay-Z who were out looking at properties and there was uh, realtors that knew that uh, they were working with this particular agent. So when there was a showing that was set up on their listing, they pretty much knew who the buyers were. And one of these listing agents or the seller, no one really knew, basically set up little hidden cameras around the house to capture Beyonce and Jay-Z critiquing the house as they walked around. This is the story anyway. And then hypothetically, those things were being offered to be sold off to TMZ. Or there was, These are just things you hear. You know, so one of the other things you might want to offer to your coaching clients, or I'm sorry, to your high-end clients is uh, someone to go into the property ahead of time. You can just offer this. They might not ever want it, but it will set you apart, and to scan for um, any sort of, you know, hidden devices. And you can do that with a a reader. You know, you can buy these online to look for low frequency. Yeah. So these are the types of things you have to have when you're doing. Right. You can pay to have the house. It's, it's easily done. If that's it's, if that's important to that particular client, absolutely. And just offer it. Maybe if you're dealing with somebody that you know is that in that sort of league, maybe they're a political person, or there's a lot of money that's leaving all these different countries and it's looking to reinvest in the United States, and they're leaving for, because of political instability. And so you have to be sensitive to all that. So, I mean, Rob, I love talking with you. I always, yeah, go ahead. The time, there's time, time constraints could go hand in hand with the um, with security as well. You, could, you know, that's another service that um, that um, you can offer a high end buyer that um, to save them time. Time is one of the most is the most valuable thing to some people. If you can spend um, a couple of hours previewing a property and filming that property, um, that's to a standard that's over and above what the listing agent has done. That's that's extremely um, meaningful to to uh, to this to this customer base. Well, you, you touched on something there, and we're way over, but this is worth talking about. With you're working with one of these super high-end, recognizable, but want their privacy types, and the listing agent, and you're working with them on the buyer side, which I focus on sellers, but on the buyer side, how do you get that listing agent not to meet you at the house? Because that is normal stuff in Greenwich, Connecticut, when you're showing a $20 million house for the listing agent to be there. How do you basically make that so that it doesn't happen? Um. Sorry, I'm I'm a, I'm a little confused on the question. If I if I call another if I call the listing agent and say I'd like to preview your uh, property and expl- and and, um, and film it and uh, give her a better her or him a better chance of selling the property, um, as long as they're not in the shot, I don't I don't care. Well, what if it's an actual showing and the person doesn't want anybody else there that hasn't signed a non-disclosure form? Is that just basically a catwalk with the, with the listing agent just to try to talk them nicely into not being there? Right. It's um, the it's just uh, it's just me and a, a camera, a film, um, and the listing agent could be in the background. I, I, um, I don't right. I don't care whether they're on site or or off site. Um, well, they're they're going to want to be very... there as the listing agent yeah. for a, for a high end house. They're not just putting it on a key box. Um, no. that, oh, and that right. and that revolves around your you know if you're if you're a, if you show that you have a legitimate um, buyer in that in that price band. Uh, the listing agent's going to want to uh, work with you anyway. 
Well, that's a, that was a very maybe perhaps too specific question that was only really appropriate for maybe a handful of agents in the country, but I know they're dealing with that. So, Rob, as we round the bend, I want everyone to know how they can communicate with you. And obviously, if anyone's – your primary market is Greenwich, Connecticut, but you obviously service the – well, I mean, do you service areas outside of Greenwich? Let them know about – do a little nice pitch for yourself and how they can communicate with you. Uh, by um – my uh, my cell phone or email is is on my website robjohnsongreenwich.com. Um, the that's the easiest way to uh, call me. The um, as far as other towns go, I um, I really solely concentrate on Greenwich, um, and I have um, I have partners in different in in the towns around Greenwich, which are an option for a lot of buyers that I that I work with um, that I work with pretty closely. So I ha- I have three or four partners in the in the satellite towns for Greenwich. When you say partners, you mean referral partners, other brokers that you know also work in similar with similar clients that you refer clients back and forth. Yeah, we cross refer. Uh, 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 yeah, right. absolutely. Towns like Darien, New Canaan, um, Westport, and then and then um, for my um, my broker has 700 agents in the city, um, Halstead. Uh, so the the um, the cross referral opportunities in the city um, with Halstead are awesome. Halstead does a fantastic job in the high end, that's for sure. Rob, if you don't mind, uh, can I ask you to include your phone number so that they can send referrals to you without having to go to your website? These radio interviews, as you know, live forever. So, 203-979-2360. Okay, perfect. Hey, Rob, I really appreciate your time on the radio today. Sorry we ran so far over. I know that this type of radio interview is something that a lot of listeners – aspire to they want to be like you <laughs> they want to have the courage to walk through the you know the golden gates of the high-end neighborhood in their community and I, hopefully we gave them some suggestions on how they can differentiate themselves because ultimately the reason they don't choose to go to that price range is because it's an insecurity it's them not feeling a real kinship with the uh that price segment and the reality of it is is that you don't necessarily have to live there. You don't necessarily have to even um, really socialize with them that much. You don't have to vlog at the same country clubs. They will do business with you um, because maybe sometimes they see you as unique and different and working harder and actually, as Rob said, delivering the result. I mean, the folks in this price range, they're not paying for a service because every agent out there provides a service. They're paying for a result. That is uh, a huge differentiator in the mindset of a lot of agents. Agents will ask, well, you know, I provide the best service, 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 service. And a lot of what Rob talked about was service, but you heard two or three different times on this interview, Rob said they're results-oriented. That's what they and how they've become successful. That's how they've you know, basically become so you know, wealthy is they have focused on results. So that is what will uh, be what you live or die by, is your ability to deliver on what you promise. So it's one thing to be able to do a great home brochure or a great home video or show up in your you know, fancy suit and your fancy car. If you don't get the job done, it, isn't for, it ain't for nothing. So, Rob, listen, I really appreciate your time today. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Tim. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.